Today from the Global Lane, long before the sound of freedom, this American risked his life to rescue kids from Joseph Coney's Lord's Resistance Army. Today, the machine gun preacher is still at it, bringing kids to safety and changing lives. Still rescuing children, still in the middle of the war, God needs you to get involved. The Sound of Freedom film shines the spotlight on child trafficking in the USA. The status of 85,000 children remains unknown. It's terrible. We've never had such a bad problem with child labor trafficking and child sex trafficking. Extending the gap year? Why more Generation Z high school graduates are opting out of the labor force? There's less of a focus on starting immediately into employment. There's a greater focus on taking time to figure it out, especially in a period of high inflation where it's expensive to move out of your parents' house. And a good news report. Only God can write a story like this. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. The film, The Sound of Freedom, is drawing much-needed attention to the global human trafficking crisis. We've told you before, it's a $150 billion per year criminal industry affecting 25 million people worldwide. And our next guest decided to do something about it. Sam Childers is an American missionary working in East Africa. He's known for rescuing trafficked children from the Lord's Resistance Army in South Sudan and Uganda. A movie, The Machine Gun Preacher, highlighted his life and his efforts. He's currently in the USA. He joins us now in studio. Sam, it's hey. so good to see you again. Really good to see you. Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> it has been. So, so tell me, this problem of child human trafficking, Yes. you've witnessed it firsthand. You've rescued children. How bad is it in Africa? You know, I believe it's a serious problem around the world. Africa has a lot of problem going on, mainly because of the uh, rebels in the bush. But here in America, we got a serious problem going on with it. I will say the president of Uganda, if you get caught molesting children, you get caught uh, raping children, whatever, you're in a serious problem, could even be sentenced to death immediately. So the child trafficking within Uganda, it's there, but mainly out around the borders. Uh, South Sudan can be a problem. Sudan can be a problem. Any country that has war going on where there's rebel leaders and rebels there fighting, yes, there's a serious traffic problem going on. And, of course, you uh, rescued children from the Lord's Resistance Army and, and uh, Joseph Kony. Now it's the DRC. Tell us what's happening to children in the DRC. You know, <clears throat> you have ISIS there, you have Islamic State, and you have ADF. Those people have teamed up together. And so there's a lot going on. You know, it wasn't but a year or two ago uh, ISIS put off a couple bombs inside of Uganda uh, in the capital city of Kampala. Yeah, a year it, and a half ago, we talked to you absolutely. about that, right? So there's yeah. some major things going on. But ISIS, <clears throat> we need to realize that ISIS is a problem around the world. And the big thing with ISIS is if you have your borders open like we do in America, you need to realize they're around us. You know, I don't want to scare anyone, but they are around us. So ISIS is a problem. Now I'm working in an area called Banjibujo. It's right on the border of Congo and Uganda. We're there rescuing children, child soldiers. We're still there doing the same work that we've done for 25 plus years now in East Africa.
How, how bad is it, though, Sam? Does it compare to the LRA and what they did with children? You know, I'm going to say no. It, it is in the Congo. I am not within the Congo working. I'm still on the border of Uganda. There's some serious problems going on. We know there was, there was just recently a school was just raided. and It was 38 children. The, yeah. And the, yeah. the girls, if, if you remember correctly, what they did with the girls is they hacked them to death with yeah. machetes yeah. while they were asleep in beds. The boys, they locked into a dormitory yeah. and set it on fire. So where our farm is in northern Uganda, we're building a school, we're building a church, we're building a new marketplace, and we're building a big dormitory to bring those children into that area that's rescued out of that war in the Congo. And so we have a lot going on still rescuing children for 25 plus years. But, but tell me now with the other children that you have rescued from other places as yep. well, how many orphanages do you have? How many you're feeding? What are you doing? You know, we have five working orphanages. Some of them are small homes instead of big orphanages. We still have the big orphanage in South Sudan and Nimli. We still have it going, going on. We have a lot of smaller ones. We're feed, our feeding programs right now are over 10,000 meals a day. We're, we're big into drilling wells. We've drilled over 50 wells over the years, repaired over 50 wells. One of our newest projects that's so much needed is the Bush Kids Project. It's been going on for two and a half years. We go deep into the bush with security. We take doctors, nurses, Malaria, or excuse me, a, a blood lab. We treat children for malaria, bacteria infections. Now the Ministry of Health has even got involved with us. So they're doing polio vaccines, measles vaccines. We're deworming everybody in the village. It started out children. Then about a year after that, it went to treating elderly. But now the malaria is so serious in Northern Uganda, we're treating all ages. And it's a big problem, malaria. Yeah, right now um, it's, it is the worst that it's been in decades. I mean, they had over two, or, excuse me, over 6,000 cases in two months. But that's only the cases that's reported. Where we go in the bush, we go deep into the bush that could be two to three miles off the nearest main road. That's deep into the bush where you could be an hour away from a hospital or a clinic that could treat it. So not only rescuing children, but rescuing lives as well. Absolutely. People there in Uganda and East Africa. You know, I never dreamed that God would have took it this big. But for everyone out there listening, you got to remember, God needs you to get involved. And when you get involved, uh, the more that you're willing to take something, God can even take it bigger. I never dreamed that our organization would have got as big as it is, and it's still going on. I just turned 61, still rescuing children, still in the middle of the war. Uh, so a lot of big things is happening with Angels of East Africa. Thanks be to God, and thank you for what you're doing. Good to see you All again. Right. God bless you, my God friend. bless you. Here on the home front, the sound of freedom is a huge box office success earning $40 million in its first week in theaters. The Angel Studios film draws attention to the tragedy of child human trafficking right here in the United States. 
Joining us from our Washington, D.C. studio is Jessica Vaughn. She's director for policy studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, I know last April in your testimony before the House Subcommittee on Immigration, you said the Biden administration has implemented a policy that incentivizes the illegal entry of unaccompanied children into the United States. It's facilitated their exploitation and abuse. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, of course, describes it as the largest human smuggling operation in American history. So just how bad is it, Jessica? It's terrible. We've never had such a bad problem with child labor trafficking and child sex trafficking. And it is enabled by the Biden administration's policies of catch and release at the border and then the uh, relocation of the migrants to their destinations uh, with almost no questions asked, no monitoring of um, the, what's happening to the kids after they're let out of government custody, and no vetting of the people to whom they're released, and no uh, enforcement at the workplace to detect child trafficking, no incentives for law enforcement agencies to try to disrupt these truly evil rings and individuals who engage in this trafficking. It's all just getting worse because the numbers continue to flow in over the border illegally. And it, it's really astonishing how much the Biden administration is willing to look the other way at, at this insidious practice uh, all to justify its mass immigration policies. Um, it, it, there is so much that could be done. It's not something that is a force of nature. It's caused by the Biden policies. Um, it's enriching the cartels who are engaged in this. But it can be stopped if there is a will on the part of the federal government and its partners uh, to do so. But what we see instead is the continued incentivization of child trafficking with even NGOs, charities, who's, who are engaged supposedly in child welfare, actually enabling this trafficking by participating in turning these kids over to sponsors that they ask no questions of. These trafficking syndicates also are making a lot of money smuggling children across the U.S. southern border. Is it only the Mexican cartels or are other criminal organizations involved in this? Well, the Mexican cartels control the area um, right along our border with Mexico, but there are innumerable other organizations that are involved all along the way, whether it's the, the people who go around in communities um, in the sending countries and talk people into turning their children over to come to the border, or whether it's the government officials in Mexico and other countries that look the other way uh, when it's coming through their country, um, it, it, whether it is the uh, employers in the United States in the case of labor trafficking or the people who are um, participating in the abuse of these minors in sex trafficking. So how likely is it that politicians, government officials on the local, state and federal level, if not directly involved or at least complicit in this activity uh, in return for either money, political favors? What do you think? Well, it, it can be both. I mean, uh, uh, in the case of labor trafficking, it is 
uh, employers who want to lower their labor costs and get away with hiring children as cheap labor. Um, in the case of criminal gangs who are trafficking girls for commercialized sex, you know, I, I don't know that they're making political contributions, but they certainly are uh, causing problems in these communities and using extortion to enrich themselves, which they then use to um, corrupt public officials to look the other way at this. Um, but there are some states, for example, like Florida, that are trying to crack down on this and refusing to participate in the Biden administration's scheme to relocate all these migrants into Florida. They're not going to allow the smuggling. They're investigating the NGOs that are involved in some of this and the criminal enterprises that support it with fake identities, um, false employment. Um, fake labor contracting companies, um, people, you know, the criminal gangs running the prostitution rings. Um, we can crack down on it. Florida is doing so. Texas is doing a little bit as well at the border. Uh, every state could do it, but, you know, it would be best if the federal government would use its authorities to shut down our border, which is the real source of it, because that's the only thing that's really going to stop it, is when we get control of our border again. Okay, the solution is in Washington, federal government. Jessica Vaughn, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Avoiding work. A U.S. Chamber of Commerce survey out this week found nearly two million fewer Americans are participating in the job force today than during the pre-pandemic February of 2020. Our next guest believes fewer 2023 high school graduates are seeking employment as the next step in their lives. In a recent American Spectator article, Young Voices commentator Kate Farmer writes that more and more Gen Zers are deliberately choosing not to work. That's making mental health matters worse. Kate is also a student at Washington University in St. Louis. She comes to us from Washington, D.C. today. Hi, Kate. So first tell us, why do you believe many Gen Zers are deliberately choosing not to work? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, looking at the employment data, our employment numbers are just getting back to pre-pandemic levels, but not so much for Gen Z who, for a lot of Gen Z who's just come of age, they've never worked a steady job before. And so... Increasing employment data is showing that this crawl back to the workforce is not coming as much out of Gen Z as it is with other generations. And I think there's a little bit of uh, a worry there coming out of Gen Z because Gen Z has very much a mental health forward culture. And this mental health forward culture, it sometimes warns that work can be a threat to mental health. And a lot of my article centers around how work actually has a lot of great mental health benefits and life benefits that go beyond a paycheck that Gen Z should tap into. Well, I want to talk about that some more in a minute, but how can they support themselves and raise families uh, in the long run without the finances to sustain themselves? What are they doing? How do they do it? Well, I think Gen Z is worried because we're entering a period of really high inflation and a lot of Gen Z are finding it better to stay at home. But on the flip side, Gen Z is avoiding a regular stream of income instead of some of the financial self-sufficiency that they need to really get off of their feet or get onto their feet and to get into the real world. And there's less of a focus on starting immediately into employment. There's a greater focus on taking time to figure it out, especially in a period of high inflation where it's expensive to move out of your parents' house. In your estimation then, 
How does long-term unemployment then affect feelings of hopelessness, low self-esteem, those type of things? So work has a series of social, psychological, and character benefits. It's really mixed into our human evolution as social creatures and as creatures who have worked and built organizations and built societies. It's psychologically good for us to get up in the morning and have something built into our day to do. And the act of going to a workplace and completing tasks, it not just fosters self-sufficiency, but it leads to character growth. It's an outlet for social organization and social relationships. And the pandemic really taught us that we have a lot of these needs that are filled by work or daily occupation in whatever form it comes to. And that idleness is really the enemy of these character developments and these traits and these needs. Kate, how do you feel about this? I mean, it seems like the pandemic really uh, messed your generation up. I think so. I think it's not easy to point to one generation as being the most hurt by the pandemic. I mean, Gen Z fared pretty well in terms of life expectancy and health risks, but also Gen Z had those critical years of their lives or our lives really compromised. And we've been called, back before we were really called Gen Z, we were sometimes called iGen, like little i and gen, like an iPhone or an iPod. And I almost think that's more accurate because we've grown up immersed in social media and tech developments. And we've grown up largely in this digital sphere that isn't really engaged with the outside world enough. And I think the pandemic really drove us indoors and onto screens more. And I think that's hurting our mental health outcomes. It's hurting our life outcomes. And it's pushing us away from regular in-person things like work. Okay. So as a young adult, then what do you recommend uh, Gen Zers do to motivate themselves to get jobs, become productive members of American society? I think Gen Z has two things they should really keep in mind. I think Gen Z is good at valuing work-life balance and recognizing that, you know, toxic corporate cultures and work before life or family or relationships, that's not a good thing and that's not healthy. But on the flip side, I think Gen Z could focus more on how work has a lot of really important mental health benefits and work is important to fostering a full, well-rounded life and to developing one's character. And so I think Gen Z should recognize the ability of regular positive work to have an impact on their life and to seek out a diversity of job options and find what is best for them mentally and what's best for them and their life and their values, but not to sit idle and to also not be afraid of trying some out. Okay, and we here at the uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, of course, believe that faith plays a big part in overcoming that hopelessness. So, Kate Farmer, thank you so much. Young Voices commentator, student at Washington University in St. Louis. What are you studying? Um, sort of pre-law stuff, but I'm really interested in writing and student policy and mental health policy is really what I'm interested in right now. Okay, well, thanks for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. I'd like to talk to you again sometime. Thank you so much. It was an honor. With all the disheartening news we hear and report daily, I thought I'd bring you a good news story. The guitar of Sean Foyt, the Let Us Worship leader, was stolen recently out of his vehicle in Spokane, Washington. He wrote on Instagram that the 1967 Gallagher guitar was special to him, a gift from Ray Hughes and irreplaceable. Foyt asked people to pray for justice and to be on the lookout for his stolen guitar. His wife Kate started to fast and pray. And the guitar was found the next day in what Foyt described as a Sunday miracle. He explained that his associate, Dean, was doing street ministry in Spokane when he ran into the man who stole the guitar. 
He said the man, Zach, was wrecked by God's love. Zach confessed to breaking into the car and stealing the guitar. Here Zach is with Dean repenting and asking for forgiveness. Boyd noted, quote, only God can write a story like this. But the bigger story is how God is using the California singer, songwriter, evangelist to change lives. Foyt's Let Us Worship movement began three years ago on San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. That initial rally came during the worst of the pandemic, when churches in California were ordered closed. The governor of California came out with a new set of restrictions. One of those restrictions was you can no longer sing in church anymore. Period. Full stop. And I remember when he said that, and I heard that, I was like, <laughs> okay, it's on. Suicide rates are exploding. Drug and alcohol use is ravaging America. Rioting and, and destruction and unrest. And there's no church to bring the hope. We held hands together and we made this declaration on the bridge. The Jesus people movement is coming to America again. Foyt felt God telling him to take worship outdoors at a time when the gospel was needed the most. Although one million Americans died either from or with COVID-19, the good news is the pandemic sparked revival in this nation. Many people believe this third awakening began at Asbury College, but I believe it started right where it began over 50 years ago in San Francisco during the Jesus Revolution. Only this time, instead of using a young Jesus freak evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee, God chose Sean Foyt as his vessel to help spark revival. Foyt has introduced hundreds of thousands to Christ since then. And just like it did during the Jesus Revolution, revival spread from San Francisco to Southern California. The second weekend in July, more than 4,000 people received baptism at Pirate's Cove in Newport Beach. Greg Laurie, who received Christ at the same place 50 years ago, led that effort. God is moving America. And yes, he's using people like Greg Laurie, Sean Foyt, and his team to help lead the way. But he's also using people like you and me to share his good news, to remind people there is hope amid all the darkness we see in America today. And all we have to do to overcome hopelessness is embrace him and walk in the light. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.